0: Welcome to the Chrisman Commentary Daily Mortgage News Podcast. I'm your host, Robbie Chrisman. Topics on today's episode include Fannie Mae earnings, my interview with Frank Fiore on APIs and how technology can bring down the cost of origination, some MA tidbits, and what impact declining GDP had on the bond market. Today's podcast is presented by Candor, AI that puts your underwriting on autopilot. As the only autonomous intelligence in mortgage technology, only Candor's loan engineering system can make complex underwriting decisions with zero human assist. Candor automates both tasks and intellect. As I mentioned at the start, Fannie Mae released its earnings this morning, reporting $4.7 billion of net income for the second quarter of 2022, and its net worth reached $56.4 billion as of June 30th. Fannie saw $111 billion of single-family home purchase acquisitions in the second quarter of this year, of which nearly 50% were for first-time homebuyers. For today's interview, I wanted to welcome back onto the podcast Frank Fiore. He's the president of Matchbox LLC and Ignite LLC. Before he started those companies, he gained experience in the financial world on Wall Street working at Nomura Securities, Lehman Brothers, and Morgan Stanley. I wanted to bring him back on to talk about a variety of things tech. So, Ignite offers best-in-class software applications, a whole suite of products. Can you talk about the similarities and the differences between Ignite and Matchbox? Because we talked about Matchbox earlier this year, but, but this interview is geared toward Ignite.
1: Sure. Um, so, Match- I started Matchbox as an operational consulting firm uh, that focuses on technology and secondary Um, And Matchbox does a lot of operational consulting firm and does all technology customizations within the LOS. Uh, A few years into that, we started getting uh, requests for building custom applications uh, for pushing data and documents in and out of uh, Encompass specifically. So, Ignite does everything around the LOS, so between, within custom software development that basically touches Encompass. So, Matchbox does everything within, it, within an LOS, and Ignite does everything that touches the LOS, if that makes sense.
0: It does make sense. So, let's talk about the different parts of Ignite. I saw several different uh, applications on your website. Can you, can you go through some of them?
1: Sure. Um, so we have a custom
0: tools and plug-in, uh,
1: department that basically those are more plug and play, um, really efficient, uh, helping clients right out of the box and, and, and driving efficiencies and, uh, and cost down. Um, and then we have a, a full custom development and a consulting arm. Custom development is any custom development into, uh, a proprietary system or a vendor or any other piece of software that you want to tie from your, Uh, LOS into another application that may or may not have an an active uh, integration, um, or you may need to customize that application. And then the last piece is, uh, you know, we have a a full-blown approved Microsoft uh, shop. So we have a full set of Microsoft developers that that help clients on building out their tech stack in terms of um, understanding an API structure, understanding uh, maybe potentially converting into the cloud, uh, uh, using data and analytics, using Power BI. Uh, So there's a number of different places that we can help clients uh, understanding their tech stack from a consulting standpoint, as well as physically helping them on the implementation piece as well.
0: What's the current market been like uh, in terms of kind of the, the temperature of clients and prospective clients? Because you'd think with a positive ROI like you provide, it would be a no brainer, especially when margins are going down and and companies are looking for any ways to save money. But companies are obviously a little more reluctant to spend money in this environment. What's the, what's that tug of war been like for you?
1: Yeah, it's, 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 it's a daily or constant struggle. Past few years have been very busy from a volume standpoint and people have invested in technology, um, with the hopes of getting the return on, invest, return on investment. Now they're revisiting some of those expenses to see if they really got the return on investment and revisiting their tech stack and figuring out how those pieces come into play. So uh, I'd like to think our value proposition would work at any, either market and help clients navigate that because uh, the mortgage technology field today is what I consider an arms race. Basically there's new, uh, new offerings and new updates and new, th- new entrants coming into the space at all times. Uh, and you really need a helpful partner who understands your model and help them navigate that, as, including on the cost side as well
0: so when it comes to this arms race, you know APIs are big now, all these all these integrations. How does it evolve from here or, or have enough companies not even started to integrate APIs into their tech stack where, where there 's still a long way to go there like what 's kind of the current status of the state of the Union? How about that?
1: Well I heard uh, a very good quote recently is that uh, everyone likes to use API as a common the most commonly used uh, term in the mortgage industry today <laughs> um which I tend to agree but uh like anything else in the tech world it kind of um, what an API is 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 it varies from client to client from their understanding and their ability to develop to it so basically what it in general terms it's just basically a vehicle to have two technologies speak uh, in a customized fashion via programming, um, so we help clients understand that and what 's capable of because what is uh, what a client 's needs are may or may not be affected by what the API can do, which will also have an impact on workflow, staffing, and how they utilize that piece of technology not only today but in the future based on the roadmap um, from a, a I big, think the biggest challenge is that I think clients have what we've experienced is most people have very good technical people who can develop the API, but a big part of uh, understanding the API is the documentation and the practical use cases, which is generally lacking that we've seen. So that, you know, working through it is basically the biggest challenge that you have to do through it because it's not a, a pure tried and true manual that you could just basically refer to as you're trying to build something. So it's kind of more of a uh, working UAT process through a lot of the APIs, especially some of the newer ones. I would say that people are really dramatically growing and getting that improving that piece. So, I think you know we've made tremendous stride the last two years, and I think in two years from now we'll be at a you know a really much much stronger level from that perspective. And APIs will be uh, not an unknown term, but a, a, a really helpful and beneficial term.
0: And I will give you the chance to uh, plug a night one more time here. Talk about some of the practical use cases for your API. So we don't,
1: we don't, we utilize uh, other companies' APIs. So we will write and develop custom code and applications utilizing other clients' APIs. We can develop our own, um, but we haven't had many use cases to do that. But we will, most cases, uh, build a custom application that sits in the middle between two companies' Um, utilizing one of their APIs to do a particular work function. And, you know, what our main goal is really trying to automate um, some of these tried-and-true manual p- processes, uh, data entry, data reconciliation, image uh, document uh, extracts, um, these types of things that we can do from a where- uh, integrating into warehouse banks, subservicers, um, having uh, image extracts into core systems, that's a big part of our process. Having a merchant payment processor um, and working with a product and pricing engine to develop, develop some automated workflows through their APIs are some examples of what we've done, which has helped you know, many, many clients in terms of driving their efficiency, utilizing a, a really good solution for, that has good technical components.
0: So we're here at the Western Secondary, and it seems like for the last 10 years of these conferences, digitization and uh, increased uh, technological adoption have been kind of these, these buzzwords that are out there. But the cost of originating a mortgage loan has actually gone up, which seems to fly in the face of you know what this technolo- these technologies should provide in terms of efficiency and automation. When will we start to see the cost, of a, a, the cost to originate a loan go down? Shouldn't these, shouldn't these technology providers be aiding in this?
1: Uh, yeah, it's a, it's an absolute great question. I think that there's a couple of things that working at play on why that's not the case. Um, you know, the, the adoption of the software is one of, one of the big challenges. So people invest and spend a a ton of time evaluating the solution, but spend very little time in terms of implementation and the adoption. So there's a big upfront investment, um, at the C level, but then very little, in terms of uh, really working with their staff to understand why the change was made and what the benefit to it is. So the adoption rate is lower than expected, but the investment stays the same. That's one piece of the component. Second piece of the component from a return on investment is there's still a lot of staffing costs that labor uh, costs tied to the the, uh, production of a loan. And that, uh, in many cases, um, is not is not tied to really where the uh, technology costs can offset that. So we're starting to see it now. There's a lot of robotics and automated learning and other pieces of the puzzle that's really taking the place of the manual pieces of the puzzle. Um, but, you know, as so many people in the technology uh, space has found that, you know, the, the nuances of the mortgage process is, is uh, makes, makes it more difficult to, build a technology that suits every use case Uh, so sometimes the exception is more challenging than the rule in terms of supporting it from an all-in technology perspective so therefore that gives everyone the ability to basically have a human interaction into it so that's part of the challenge
0: how do you advise clients potential clients people in the industry on best of breed when it comes to a tech stack versus uh you know a, a completely vertically integrated tech stack because there's there's two options that you know tech that plays nice with each other at every point in the the loan origination process and the best of what's out there the shiny cadillac that you say ooh, you know i I want this in my tech stack but you don't know how it's going to interact with some of your other vendors potentially
1: yeah um another great question i think that there's a lot that goes into our advice to a client it's you know it starts with the product itself um you know, what what that product looks like, uh, what their potential roadmap looks like and what their support infrastructure looks like to, you know, making sure that the, the uptime and the viability of the product stays consistent f- to the business model that the client has in place. Um, and then after that is is really understanding what the staffing at the client level has in terms of supporting that software. So it doesn't make sense to offer a really complex solution that's going to take like, uh, you know, a team of developers to maintain if uh, there's one CIO that's, that's working through you know, 10 other jobs. So that's a big component that I don't really think people really play into or do in their analysis of how the software is going to be supported internally going forward. Uh, because again, like to my earlier point, it's not just the initial implementation, but there are releases on this as as the LOSs and all these other technologies uh, continue to provide updates. You have to keep up with those to really try to benefit. That also plays into the ROI, because if you're not taking advantage of those updates, those are the those are the reasons potentially why you bought this software in the first place, waiting for that roadmap. But then you don't actually implement it, so you the, therefore your benefit is never really achieved. And then lastly, it's really. Um, you know, what they can do from different components from an IT security standpoint, what type of infrastructure they have from a cloud computing or on prem uh, standpoint, and how they interact with their other non mortgage related tech in terms of email and office and other pieces of the puzzle, for servers that we build all of that into our tech plan to help clients and guide them from a consulting basis. It's not just a one size fits all and saying, this is best practices, you should approach this. There's a lot of components that go into the final, you know, advice that we can give a client from a, you know, here's what your tech stack should look like both today. And then how you want to scale it in the future?
0: So we're here at the Western secondary. I'm sure you've met with clients and prospective clients, both. And you've also heard chatter in the halls. What's important to people right now? What are they talking to you about? What are your conversations been revolving around? What's top of mind for people?
1: Uh, really understanding their tech, their tech stack. I mean, that's what a lot of people are trying to figure out and determining, you know, where is the best use of their tech tech stack and where's the best value within their tech stack. Uh, I think people invested a lot of money, not specifically a lot of time over the past few years, just trying to keep up with the volume. Now they're taking a step back and saying, okay, let me see how all these pieces fit together. And does it make sense for how we're utilizing, how it's being adopted, and how it can benefit me in the long term when the volume does come back? So that's where a lot of people are coming to me and asking me to revisit you know, what they've done over the past few years and try to give them a, a third-party a third opinion as to you know, how all these pieces fit together in their tech stack from a puzzle perspective and if it makes sense today and in the future.
0: Fantastic. Well, I very much enjoyed this. Thanks for making the time. And uh, yeah, hopefully we'll have you back on soon.
1: Thanks, Robbie. It's always a pleasure. Really appreciate it. Thank you.
0: Owners of residential lending are aging. Some aren't interested in going through another business cycle. And some want to take their chips off the table before they begin using hard-earned capital to support their companies for the remainder of 2022 and into 2023. Others are trying to improve efficiencies, and if there is a cultural fit with another company, why pay for two accounting departments, two capital markets departments, two sets of drawers and funders, etc. For lenders thinking about these things and more, Garth Graham, senior partner with the Stratmore Group, has some tips on successful M&A steps for lenders and vendors. He says start early to figure out how to maximize value. There may be things you can do to stage the house, and that takes some level of planning. Ensure confidentiality. Don't just start taking calls without thinking through disclosure risk. At Stratmore, they typically engage with sellers in a confidential process to determine the best likely buyer and then coordinate a confidential process to have the buyer and seller engage. He continues that it's important to focus on model match and culture. Buyers and sellers need to have a level of compatibility to make the deal work. After all, you typically are going to work together after the sale, and the key is that it's a good fit, not just a good price. Earnouts can be very valuable if it is the right buyer with synergy. And if a buyer can't make more money with the seller's platform, then that extra earnings is part of a well-structured earnout. Often, buyers focus only on upfront cash and don't pay enough attention to the post-closing earnings. Be realistic, and be willing to compromise. A scorched-earth negotiation will ultimately create issues. The classic example of winning a battle but losing a war. Do not disclose the potential or pending transaction prior to the close date to anyone other than those that must know. And finally, make sure you evaluate the transaction impact from the perspective of sales staff, ops staff, and corporate staff. It's not just salespeople that are impacted. Does pricing, product menu, benefit programs, lending opportunities, technology tools, and resources stay the same or get better? That's what typically drives retention. Be disciplined with your objectives and evaluation. If you want to deal too badly, you may very well get it badly. Celebrate the transaction with your employees, but do not oversell or apologize for it. A good deal often means better opportunities for the employees, and they need to know that. Thanks, Garth. We learned yesterday that the U.S. economy shrank for a second consecutive quarter. GDP was negatively affected by inventory investment, government spending, and housing, with high inflation undercutting consumer spending and rate hikes hurting businesses and housing. Keep in mind that this probably won't influence the Fed much, given it is older data. Personal consumption, the biggest part of the economy, rose at a 1% pace, a deceleration from the prior period as the economic environment has undoubtedly weakened. This week's Fed rate hike will increase short-term rates like credit cards, auto loans, and home equity lines of credit, but it is also a boost to the interest rate on savings accounts. The Fed move was expected to have no direct impact on home loan rates, but long-term rates actually declined. Back in June, when the Fed also raised rates by 0.75%, the 10-year note hit 3.49%, the highest level in years, although it has moved sharply lower on increased recession fears. For the last few weeks, as a barometer, the 10-year note hovered near 3%, and currently sits at 2.70%, with the 2-year note yield near 2.87%, that signifies an inverted yield curve, which sometimes portends a recession. In a recession, long-term rates do not go higher, and the Fed doesn't hike rates. No one owns a crystal ball, but the September Fed Funds futures contracts are pricing in an 80% chance of a 50 basis point hike and a 20% chance of a 75 basis point hike. Expectations are for the Fed Funds rate to be up 75 or 100 basis points from the current level by the end of the year. The June 2023 futures see lower rates than December. That essentially means we are three quarters of the way through this tightening cycle and the impact will really be felt later this year and in early 2023 due to the six to nine month lag. Yesterday afternoon, the New York Fed released a new MBS purchase schedule covering the July 29th to August 11th period. Despite the rally, there was no change to coupons, with 30-year operations targeting 4% through 5%, and UMBS 15 operations targeting 3.5% and 4%. Today sees the desk in UMBS 15s for up to $151 million of 3.5% and 4%. And today's economic calendar contains some first-tier data, much of which is of the inflation variety. We received June PCE, up 0.6%, identical to May, as well as the Q2 Employment Cost Index, up 1.3%, better than expected inflation-wise. Later this morning brings Chicago PMI and the final July Michigan sentiment reading. We begin Friday with Aiden CMBS prices, not doing much versus Thursday evening, and the 10-year yielding 2.71 after closing yesterday at 2.68 due to these inflation gauges this morning suggesting the Fed will keep hiking. Let's wrap up with a joke and some housekeeping. It's not a recession until my mother calls and asks. It is a recession, but it identifies as a bull market. If you strip everything out except consumption, the U.S. is not in a recession. And the White House now says it's only a recession if you see a salamander wearing a top hat. (laughs) Thanks again to this week's podcast sponsor, Candor. AI that puts your underwriting on autopilot. Cander automates both tasks and intellect. If you have any questions about the podcast or sponsoring opportunities, send me an email at Robbie at RobCrisman.com. Visit RobCrisman.com for more information on our industry partners, access to archived commentaries, and how to subscribe to the Daily Mortgage News and Commentary. To listen to or download past episodes of this podcast, Search Mortgage News on any platform you get your podcast from.